Good morning. We're in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 13. There is a last, last chance. Now, I know most of you are in your homes, but you can still do this. Please stand for reading of the Word of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which has poured out full strength into a cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you do speak to us uh, words of truth. You are giving a last, last chance here to planet Earth, but Lord, we know you give last, last chance to people all the time. You are a gracious God, you are a merciful God, and you continually warn before you judge. And we are grateful for that. Open our spiritual eyes and ears to the truth. Help us to hear from you today the things that you want us to hear through this lesson. Please speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The last, last chance. Interesting topic. Theme, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming to judge. And Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's a hip, hip, hooray. Uh, Have you ever heard these words? We're talking about last chances. Johnny, this is your last chance. I really mean it this time, Johnny. That happens all the time. Or have you heard this one? The count technique. One, Johnny. Two, Johnny. Don't make me say three. We've been through that one. Or you've heard the the idle threat technique. You're, You're two miles from Disney World. You've been traveling for a day and a half. The kids are driving you crazy. They're all excited. They're all geeked to get to Disney World. And you finally are ready to explode. And you say, kids, if you don't stop it, I'm going to turn this car around. (laughs) That's the idle threat technique. You know you're not turning the car around. The kids know you're not turning the car around. But folks, there is a time when God says, there is a last, last chance. And he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Remember last time we met, we talked about the 144,000. They were on Mount Zion, pictured in the future at the end of the tribulation period. These were the ones that were sealed on their foreheads, sealed by God. These were the first fruits of God. They have made it through the entire tribulation period. Intact, all 144,000. Started at the beginning, finished the whole seven years, and now they're pictured on Mount Zion. And I want you to think about this. They were indeed the first fruits. And if you're thinking about first fruits, that's the first of the harvest given to God 
with a guarantee of more to come. That tells us something here. That tells us that these first fruits were the first ones saved in the tribulation period. What does that mean to you? That means to me that the church is not there at the beginning. The church has been raptured. It's another indication of a pre-tribulation rapture. This is the first fruits unto God with a guarantee of more to come. And these guys did their job. Remember how effective they were in chapter 7, verse 9. A multitude, it's the greatest harvest of souls in the history of planet Earth. And it happens in the tribulation period. And it happens when God uses these 144,000. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, everyone, a masses are saved. And it's because these, these believers, these 144,000, have the Holy Spirit, chutzpah, the chutzpah of God, the rod of iron up their spine. It's the supreme confidence. It's nerve. It's gall that they will, in the face of Antichrist, still give the gospel, be protected by God, and a massive harvest will occur. And those people that are saved, folks, are going to be real followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting thing here. The multitude that are saved are the ones that have believed the gospel, and they have not bought into the strong delusion of Antichrist. They did not buy into the lying signs and wonder. Remember, they're very convincing because they're real. I believe these are real miracles that Antichrist does under the power of Satan, and it's going to mesmerize the world. They won't buy into that. They do not even buy into the abomination of desolation when it begins to speak and to breathe. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and they aren't going to buy into it. And these true believers will refuse the mark of the beast, and a great number will be killed, imprisoned, or relentlessly pursued by the Antichrist. Now, how can anyone stand through this type of persecution? How they stand in the future, how we stand now, how people have stood in the past, is given to us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, yes, that's number one. The word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They were willing to be martyrs, martyrios, witness to the death. And these people, the instant that they believed, the instant they believed the message of the 144,000, they had a transfer of kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and they were saved. Now remember, we talked about how God deals with evil. He doesn't compromise with evil. You cannot negotiate with evil. What God does is very simple. He either isolates it or destroys it. Isolates it or destroys it. All rejectors of Jesus Messiah will be isolated in hell, separated from God forever. But remember this. That's the greatest tragedy of all. But remember this. Hell was created for whom? The devil and his angels. You know the rest of it. Yes, the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for humans. It was created for Lucifer and his, and his counterparts who rebelled against God and became Satan, the devil. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. Humanity has a rescue. Humanity, who is that rescue? It's Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All a human has to do is believe and receive the free gift of salvation that is offered. John 1.12, yet all who receive him, 
to those who believe in his name, put their trust and commit to. Yet all who receive those, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, born again into the family of God. It's as simple as that. You must know this. This is a review from last time. There is a big difference in people that say that they're saved, they're justified, or a disciple of Christ. There's a big difference between salvation and being a disciple. Now, remember, we had this picture, this chart from Andy Woods. And it's up here. Now, I, want you, I won't go through all of this like I did last time. But when you are saved and you say yes to Jesus Christ, remember, God has done all of this stuff. All you did was believe the gospel. All you did was believe. One condition was believe and receive the gift. Everything else was done by God. All the work. Jesus died on the cross. Discipleship is quite different. It's costly. It takes your time. It takes effort. Its discipline is embedded in this word. And it, it is a process that is lifelong. And God has every single believer in a process of discipleship, of growing. You have to cooperate with God. Now, you can stiff arm him and not participate, but you're going to end up being a loser. Remember, your whole purpose in life is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So, no one, now let me say this really plain and clear, no one is saved to be a baby forever, a forever baby. Now, you see people in churches, in the Western church in particular, all the time. They've been Christians 30, 40, 50 years. They think they're mature because they go to church every Sunday. But they're still babies, babies, babies. And oftentimes, these babies have been fed baby food or pablum by their shepherd, by their poeman, their shepherd, their overseer. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a dual issue. Uh, the person likes the baby food. And the pastor gives the person what they think that the baby wants. That is not what you want to do. Babies desire the baby food. Now, have you ever been able to identify a baby? Yes, you have. They're number one, they're the center of attention. Secondly, they're all about me. They're the, I want my mapo. Here's the sign. Isn't this just an amazing picture? I want my mapo. I want my church to be my way. And pastor, you better keep it to 15 minutes. And you better make me laugh. And you better encourage me. Because guess what, pastor? It's all about me. That's a baby. The Western church, folks, is filled with baby Christians. Babies never serve, but demand to be served. Babies are easily offended. Babies are ones that will take their ball and go home. I'm not doing this anymore because that offended me, that teaching or whatever. Now, I want to show you a picture of a baby church. Now, we said this last time, but I love this picture. <laughs> it's a great picture. Look at this. This is a congregation of babies. And we went through this. You have the, the I love you pastor one. You have the one that could care less about anything. The one that is mesmerized. The one that can't believe what you're saying. You have the queen of the church. You have the studious one. Ready to stump the pastor. Let's stump the pastor. You have the one that's afraid. Oh, they talked about hell. They're not supposed to talk about that. That whole thing. And then you have the isolated one back here. Can't wait for the bell to ring to exit stage left. A baby church. All these pictures here. You have the sleeping ones. Hey, 
That is a picture of the Western church today. You won't see this church in Iran. You won't see this church in China. I guarantee you that. You see this church where everything is easy, easy, easy. The pastor's job, folks, is to feed the people what they need, not necessarily what they want because they're babies and they need to grow. They need to grow. Remember, the pastor is, the word is poiamen, again, poiamen, and it means feed, guide, guard, encourage to go farther. Encourage to go farther. Never to stay in baby land. Now, last time we talked about how God is so patient with humanity. We've already seen the two witnesses and the effect that they had in the first three and a half years. We saw the 144,000 the effect they had in evangelizing the world. This week, we're going to see three angels that are going to be dispatched from heaven to give a message to the people to believe in the true God. Believe in the true God. Now, this is the end of evangelism that you're going to see in the book of Revelation. This is the last evangelism that will take place. And I also want to suggest to you something. These three angels, I believe, are dispatched before Antichrist does the abomination of desolation. It's a warning that this is going to happen and don't take the mark. It may be happening at the same time, but it is, it is a message that is there in time for people to know not to take the mark of the beast. Don't fall for the Babylonian system. Believe the gospel, repent, and turn. That message is given prior to, the, I believe, Antichrist initiating all this stuff. Remember, God always warns. Before he judges. He always warns before he judges. And aren't you glad? (laughs) Aren't you just thrilled? I am. I can tell you that. In verse 6 and 7, we're going to see a warning angel with the gospel. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. Caruso. Declare, herald the truth. To those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This angel will affect every human on earth. will hear the gospel message. Saying with a loud voice. No one's going to say, I was in the bathroom. I didn't hear it. No, it's a loud voice. Fear God. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him. And watch this. Who made heaven and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Worship the creator. Not the creation, not the Antichrist, not Satan's main man, not Satan himself. Worship the creator, not the created. Look at there are these angels are messengers dispatched by God to do his bidding, and they have a message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. This is a warning angel. This is another angel, an allos, another of the same kind. It actually refers back to the last angel that we saw was in Revelation 8.13, who was another warning angel, and he had the three woes. Remember, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The last three trumpet judgments are coming. The blast of the trumpets and the three angels, were. this angel was warning about those last three woe judgments. God has, will reach a point where he's had enough with planet earth. And people will have had their last, last chance. This angel, this warning angel, has a last warning with the everlasting gospel. 
The message to the world could not be more clear. This is the true God. Believe the gospel and live. Believe the gospel and live. It's, a, it, it, it's then, it's in the past, it's presently. Hear the gospel and live. What is the gospel? You know what the gospel is. Most people here do. <laughs> or you do. You know what the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He sits now at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us as our high priest. But oh, one day he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. That'll be soon. That'll be soon. We'll see the king. Do not buy into the Antichrist delusion. The Antichrist lies. This warning angel is very specific. Fear God and give him glory. We heard that word. We know what the word fear is. In the Hebrew, it's yare. In the Greek, it's phobio, where we get phobias from. They have the, basically the same meaning. It can be terrifying fear, or it can be an awesome respect for God. And I think both of those are appropriate. Fear God. Fear God and give him glory. The hour of his judgment has come. It's the final warning. Look at, turn to Christ, believe the gospel. Satan can't save you. Antichrist can't save you. The false prophet can't save you. Any false world system can't save you. It is only Jesus Christ. Folks, this is a warning angel is giving the gospel. And then we have the next one that comes. The next one that comes, the second warning angel is going to say, Babylon has fallen. That whole system that Antichrist is going to put into place has fallen. Watch it, verse 8. And another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. That great city because she was made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That fornication is this idolatry, this hatred towards the real God. This, they, they, had, they were intoxicated by the false gods of this world. This whole Babylonian system. The warning angel's message could not be more clear. Hear this. This is a, could not be more clear. Babylon has fallen. Can you imagine? I can't imagine this angel. I don't know how big he is flying all over the place. But he's yelling out. So everybody hears, Babylon is fallen. Babylon has fallen. Antichrist economic, political, religious system is doomed. It has fallen. Don't buy into his stuff. Don't buy into his stuff. Now remember, ancient Babylon, we were introduced to in the first, it was in Genesis chapter 11, it was on the plains of Shinar. On the plains of Shinar. And ancient Babylon is a place where man worshipped false gods. Remember, they made a ziggurat. And in order to worship the false gods, they had to throw away the true gods. And we have this picture of a ziggurat here. And this is kind of, who knows what it actually looked like. But it was a tower that they were building to heaven. And make no mistake, they were trying to get to heaven to worship the false gods. Babel is the birthplace of diversity. Let me make a comment on that for just a second. The birthplace of diversity, of humanism. It is where man rules and God is cast out. The real God. We'll take the false gods who will do what we want them to do. But the real God, we want him cast out. All false religious systems can be traced back to Babylon, to the Tower of Babel. 
There's no evidence actually after the Tower of Babel that there are any true worshipers of the true God until God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, who, by the way, was a moon god worshiper that God called and he became a Yahweh worshiper, a true God worshiper. Do not underestimate Satan's ability to mesmerize the world then and now. Then and now. The word, the, the world cries diversity. We hear that all the time. And there's nothing wrong about diversity in, in, a, in a sense of equal opportunity for people and that sort of thing. But that's not the, what the world means. That's not what the world means. And I think it means what the world views diversity as this. Humanity decides what is good for humanity, not God. In other words, abortion is good for humanity. Homosexual marriage is good for humanity. Transgenderism and their rights is good for humanity. That is not what God says. That is not what God says. The creature tells the creator what is important. That's the epitome of hubris, of arrogance, of pride. The creator is telling the The creation is telling the creator. Now, what is a common characteristic of a Babylite? You have seen this. We will have our way, God. We will have our way. And Babel is a place where God says, oh, really? We'll see how much you have your way. That Tower of Babel came down. Those languages were confused. And they were separated into people groups. Remember, God wants borders. He's for people groups. Why? Because a one world rule is corrupt and will will take people away from the true God. One rogue nation can rise up like Nazi Germany did or the communist nations that they want to do and they want to rule the world and take people away from the true God. Now, in our text today, I have a question for you. There are many people that have suppositions for what, does Babylon mean in this context in the book of Revelation? Well, some people believe it's Rome. Some people believe it's Jerusalem. Some people believe that Babylon will be rebuilt. There's a lot of Christian expositors that believe that. And some people believe that Babylon is the worldwide economic, political, and religious system at the time of Antichrist. So it's not maybe a specific city, but it's the whole system. And I guess we'll have to wait to find out. Uh, what we do know about Babylon is the following. It will be the center of Antichrist power. And it will be economic, political, and religious. And remember this. The warning angel tells the entire world, unequivocally, unequivocally, Babylon will be totally destroyed, decimated. The destruction will be sudden, and the destruction will be complete. Jeremiah 51.8 says this, when her destruction comes, it will be sudden. The Old Testament prophets could foresee this in the future. And it's exactly what will happen. Revelation 18.10, in one hour. In one hour. In Revelation 18.8, the plagues will come in one day. One day. Now, when do you think this is going to happen? When do you think this destruction will occur? And I bet you have the answer to this. When Jesus returns and with a word puts down everything that Satan loves. It's Revelation chapter 19. You know, in verse 11, Jesus comes back on the white horse. He comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
And in verse 15, it says this, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and he strikes the nations. He himself will rule with the rod of iron. And he treads the winepress and the fiercest and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our Jesus coming back. And then you see the arrogance of planet Earth in verse 19. And I saw the beast and kings of the earth and their armies, watch this, gathered together to make war against him, against Jesus. It's amazing. Who sat on the horse in his army. And Jesus immediately takes the Antichrist by the neck. With, I can just see this. With one hand, this is a Rickism, okay? With one hand, Antichrist by the neck. With one hand, the false prophet by the neck. And just like two little bowling balls, voomp into the lake of fire. And then Satan is dealt with in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, by one messenger angel with the authority of God, binds him, throws him in a pit for a thousand years, and all the earth dwellers are killed by the sword in chapter 19, verse 21, who sided with the Antichrist. Oh, there will be a defining moment when Jesus comes back and puts down all rebellion against him. All rebellion against him. Remember this. It's scary. It's hard to comprehend that this much uh, carnage will happen. But God is, remember this, God is merciful. He is merciful. Every human being on earth will know who the true God is. These angels will give the warning. Everyone will be warned. Do not side with Antichrist. The lesson for us could not be more clear. The world system that is in rebellion against God, their days are numbered. Do not be mesmerized by the serpent's allure, his glitz, his glamour. Do not be mesmerized by the world system and all this flashing lights. It's smoke and mirrors, folks. Now, our job is this. Do not, let me say this loud and clear. Am I saying this loud and clear enough? Do not become dismayed, anxious, or worried as you see our world streaking towards Babylon, streaking towards a one-world government. Don't be alarmed. God told us what to expect. He holds us responsible for what the prophets have told us. He holds us responsible for what is in the book of Revelation. We are to conduct ourselves differently. How so? We are to stand, folks. How? I didn't put the bull in the blizzard up here again. I love that dude, but you've seen him enough. Like a bull in the blizzard, you will not be moved. And you will have something very uncommon that will exist at that time. You will be a voice of calm and assurance in the midst of the chaos. Now, look, we have a picture here. I just tried to find a picture of chaos. Okay, this, these are people. Oh, the world is falling. What are we going to do? It's all changing. It's all changing. That is one way that people are going to look at this. And I think the majority, the majority. But you're different. You're going to trust God and not fear. Now, I love this picture. Watch this young lady. This young lady is worshiping God. This is a picture of tranquility. This is a picture of peace. This is a person that has experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding. 
no matter what comes. That's what we want to be like. That is what we want to project to the world around us. Not this biting our fingernails, running around like chickens with our heads cut off like the rest of the world. Folks, true disciples will stand for Christ in the crunch. Fans crumble. Fans crumble. True disciples will spend time with Jesus. Will make their home in Jesus. And you know the word, don't you? Men know. Dwell in Christ. John 10.27 is what true disciples will hear. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Don't you want to hear the voice of the master in the midst of all the chaos? Fans will, will just crumble. Disciples will stand. We, see, we saw the first warning angel with the gospel. The second warning angel says Babylon has fallen. Antichrist's whole system has fallen. And the third angel gives the most remarkable warning of all. Watch this, verses 9 through 11. Don't take the mark. Whatever you do, don't take the mark. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, watch the consequence for this. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, the thumos of God, the rage and the anger of God. Yes, God has wrath which is poured out full strength, not half strength, full strength into the cup of his indignation, of his orge, of his, of his simmering wrath. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. You know what that's saying? That they're going to be cast into the lake of fire and Jesus will be right there. It's a tragic scene. It's a tragic scene that need not be if you just turn and live. And the smoke of their torment. This is a warning. This is a warning. Don't go there. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. It's not a consuming fire. It is a forever, a forever punishment. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image. Who worship the beast in his image. And receives the mark of his name. Look at you receive the mark of the beast you are damned forever, forever. Now, there's some facts about the mark of the beast that we need to be aware of. Number one, the mark of the beast will not be sneaky. It won't be sneaky. People will know what they are doing. They're not tricked into the mark. In other words, I don't believe it's going to be in the vaccine. I don't think the mark of the beast is in the vaccine. It's not going to be in something that you accidentally bump into. And, oh boy, I got I, some, I got the Mark, oh, I, I bumped into something. and No, you're going to know exactly what you're doing. The pressure to take the mark, though, will be enormous. You can't buy or sell, and you're under threat of death if you don't take it. Most of the world will clamor to take the mark. They will love the Antichrist. They will think he's the true Christ. They want to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. They bought into the delusion. They bought into the lying signs and wonders. Some will feel pressure and some will cave to the mark. And some will rationalize. Rationalization is a human tool used to justify a decision. I can't let my kids suffer. I can't let my family suffer. I don't want to suffer. I, I, I'm just going to take the mark because it'll make life easier. Don't take 
the mark. The mark is pledging allegiance and worship to Satan. Unequivocally. Satan, those who take the mark are doomed eternally. Listen to this. Verse 10. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Again, thumos, intense anger, rage, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And then hell is eternal. It is not temporary. Their torment ascends forever and ever. Do you know that the false prophet and the Antichrist are in the lake of fire for a thousand years and then Satan joins them after his short rebellion, Revelation chapter 20? It is a forever punishment. You cannot, if you take the mark of the beast, you cannot blame somebody else. You know, everybody was doing it, so I just thought I'd do it, or I thought this was the thing to do. No. Everyone will know from this angel flying around, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. Now, I want you to think about something. As our culture changes, as our culture becomes more and more and more post-Christian, you realize we're not a Christian nation anymore. We are post-Christian. As progressive Christianity gets its roots deeper and deeper into a lot of people's lives. We have progressive politics, and now we have progressive Christianity. You know what progressive Christianity is? We don't believe everything that's in the Bible. We don't believe that it's the inspired word of God. We don't believe in things like sin. That's a little too, too difficult of a concept. We don't believe in the, keeping the Ten Commandments or holiness. And certainly, progressive Christianity is not going to believe in, a, in eternal hell. Progressive Christians believe that most people, if not all people, make it to heaven. Universalism, that God is a God of love and he eventually will save everybody. That is a lie. That is not what the scripture says. Most people in progressive Christianity say that hell is non-existent. Most of them ignore hell completely. It's not a popular subject. Most in the today's church don't even talk about an eternal destiny for the lost. It's too uncomfortable for the baby Christians. They can't take it. They can't take it. They got to have something more encouraging. But it's the truth. Jesus spoke more about hell and avoiding that than he did heaven. That is a fact. And a lot of people say that Christians use hell as a scare tactic. And I'm telling you, it can be a scare tactic. If you take it seriously, it can be something that scares you into the kingdom. It can be that. Facts about hell that you need to know. First of all, Jesus believed it's the eternal abode of the lost. So we need to realize that going in. Secondly, hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for humans, God has made a way out for humanity. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell was in existence prior to humans being created. And God's strong, strong, strong desire is that no one go there. Don't go there. It's constant warnings in Scripture. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, let everyone come to repentance. That is the heart of God. 1 Peter 2.4, God desires that all men, all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How many men? All men. How many is all? All men. The heart of God is for all humanity to be saved. Hell is eternal. Matthew 25.46 says this, And these will go into everlasting 
punishment. Ionios is the word. Everlasting. Ionios. But the righteous into eternal life. Ionios. Both words. Meaning forever. This is important. From Jesus' mouth to our ears. Hell is eternal and heaven is eternal. It's all predicated or based upon what you do with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus going to be your sin bearer or not? Is Jesus going to be the one that takes all the wrath that you deserve on himself? Or is Jesus going to be the one that you say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I received the gift of salvation. I want to live with you forever. Your decision regarding Christ is eternal. Is eternal. And remember, God's strong desires is you grab hold of the lifeline, folks. How do I know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And verse 18 says, And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Oh, God has sent a rescue in his Son. He's given his very best, and his encouragement is received the gift of salvation. But the posture of the world is quite evident, isn't it? The posture of the world is, 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 is reject, reject, reject. A few will believe, but the posture is reject. It's expressed very clearly in Jesus' parable of the ten minas in Luke 19.14. Watch what he says. And he's, he's actually speaking this, and the Pharisees are right there. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation to him, saying to him, we will not have that man, this man, rule over us. That is what humanity is saying when they reject Jesus. We will not have this man rule over us. Look, at Jesus can be your best friend. He can be the gentle shepherd. He can love on you, or he can be your judge. And that's the choice that every human has to make. Remember, God always warns before he judges. This, folks, that we're seeing here is humanity's last last chance. Then we have in, the patience of the saints is displayed in verses 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep, watch this, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works, let that resonate with you, their works follow them. More on that in just a second. An identifying quality of one who dwells in Christ, makes their home in Christ, is patience. The word is hupomone. Hupomone. You've heard this word before. There are two words for patience that's mainly used. One is hupomone. That's patient with circumstances. You are enduring circumstances. The other one is, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Is patience. is macrothumia. means patient with people. This one here is patient with circumstances. Now this is contrasted very strongly with the earth dwellers. What have the earth dwellers done? 
They've given into the circumstances. They bought into the lying signs of wonders, the strong delusions, and they will experience the full wrath of God. It's tragic. Separated from God forever. I cannot imagine. Now, just think about this. Imagine forever, no hope, no joy, regretting the choice you made forever. These courageous saints will keep the commandments of God who die in the Lord. Listen to what they, what these qualities are. They refuse to give in and they refuse to give up. They refuse to give in and they refuse. To give. You know, they, when you get bombarded constantly by this world, there's a tendency to want to give in, isn't there? There's a tendency to want to give up. I just, I'm just sick of this. Just, just, this is take the easy road. Don't do it. They know that their lot is far preferable to those who accept the easy way out and worship the beast. Look, there's a principle with humanity. You can either choose the easy way that has easy, an easy decision at first, but long-term consequences. Or you can choose the hard way that's tough at first, that has long-term benefits. These people are looking at the long-term benefits. They're not going to side with the beast. Obeying the commandments of God demonstrates something, folks. You know what it demonstrates? Genuine faith. James 2.17. Faith without works is dead. Hear what Jesus said in Luke 6.46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's a great question, isn't it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Now, there's a lot of people that believe that we as New Testament believers don't have anything to do with the Ten Commandments. That it's the Old Testament, that's really not for us. Look, I, don't want you to, I want you to be absolutely clear on something. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by keeping the commandments. As a matter of fact, the commandments demonstrate that we cannot keep the commandments and that we are indeed sinners in need of a Savior. No one is declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, but rather through the law we become conscious of sin. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So why do New Testament believers obey the Ten Commandments? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it demonstrates love for God. A lot of people use lip service. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I mean, I really do. I love you with all of my heart. And they go about doing whatever they want. They love them for the, for the first three minutes of the service. That's all jumping up and down. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you know that every command of God is an expression of God's love for his people? That all the commandments do two things provide for and protect the people of God. Every one of those commandments are there to provide for you and to protect you, not to stifle you, not to make your life miserable. No, they're to provide for and to protect you. A love for God is demonstrated when we keep his commands. But secondly, listen to this. You might not have thought about this. I think it's this. It demonstrates loyalty to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the true God. Why am I saying that? Because there's many false gods that want your attention. Remember the prince of Persia in Daniel chapter 10, or the, or the prince of Greece. And we'd see these, these, these lowerling Elohims, these, these lowerling gods that want your attention. 
But no, we're, we're dedicating ourselves to the true God, to the creator that created all these other ones, that many of them rebelled against him. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 7. It's the, it's the Ten Commandments section. And the first three commandments are very much expressing loyalty to God only. You, 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 first three commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. I almost forgot him. You shall not make for yourself an idol or bow down to an idol. And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That misuse the name is not just taking the name in vain, but it is, it is defaming his name to the people you come in contact with. You are acting out of character as a Yahweh follower, and it defames his name when we do that. Don't do that. And then there's a blessing for those. Blessing for those who die in the Lord, verse 13. Those who have heeded the last, last chance, folks. There's a blessing in the Lord. They've gone from earth dwellers to heaven dwellers. You know how fast that happens? Instantly. Instantly. The moment I say yes to Jesus, boom, I'm transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm transferred from Satan's control to Jesus' control. It is instant in a moment. In a moment. And what are these going to do? Don't miss this. They're going to rest from their labors. This is an eternal rest. No more struggling. No more striving. No more straining. Their works will follow them. Again, works do not merit salvation. But your works done for Christ after salvation are exceedingly important. You're going to be rewarded for those. God is a generous rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It says in Hebrews 11.6, He's a recompenser, a rewarder. There will be something called the Bema Seat Judgment. You've been here. You know about the Bema Seat Judgment. Those listening may not. But the Bema Seat Judgment is where believers are judged for their works done post-salvation. Were your works gold, silver, or precious stones? Will they undergo the, will they pass the fire test? Or will they be wood, hay, and stubble and be burnt up? That's the question. That's the question. That's the Bema Seat Judgment, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Some will receive a reward, but some will, will have what is called detriment and a degree of shame. 1 John 2, 28 kind of speaks to this. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Now, did you catch it? You probably didn't catch it. If you abide in him, dwell in him, make your home in him, all out for him, when he appears, then you will not be ashamed before him at his coming. Folks, we have these three angels. They're warning. We have the patience of the saints who come out of the tribulation period. We have their works and their rewards at the Bema Seat Judgment. God is a God that will give a last, last chance. In closing, we know that God is long-suffering with people. We would have annihilated planet Earth long ago if we were God. I mean, we're not merciful. We're not gracious. He is. He is. He's very long-suffering. We didn't cover this, but in Romans chapter 1, three times... God says he gave them over to their sins. There is a time when God says enough. 
and he gives them over, gives them over to their sins. When does God finally say enough? Thankfully, I don't know that answer. I don't know that. My job is to just keep telling people. I don't know where they're at. As God opens the door, we speak. Okay? We don't know that. But think about this. When a person or a nation is confirmed in their unbelief and abandons the true God for the gods of this world, that is when God says, enough. Enough. And it is my belief that America has reached this point. Has reached this point. We are witnessing a nation being given over to its sinful desires. Given over to its own desires that are making laws that are contrary to the word of God. Contrary to God and his ways. The result of this has been very clear. We see lawlessness in our streets. We see chaos in our elections like never before. We see a free fall into the moral abyss. Where again, things that heretofore in America would never have been acceptable. Killing babies in mass for the convenience of people's lives. Homosexual marriage, which is, it, God defines what marriage is, not humanity. Not humanity. Then we have transgenderism and gender dysphoria and all those things. Open borders. These are things that God is not for. But yet our world has embraced these things. And it reminded me of the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when the nation of Israel was being warned to turn and live. And the nation had reached this point, and I think this is where we are. What are those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to men at drinking wine, mixing intoxicating drinks. The, the whole culture was, was, was immersed in substances. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, prudent in their own sight. This is the progressive agenda. And this is what God says, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them. That was his people, the nation of Israel. Think of the United States of America built on Christian principles. What do you think God is thinking and doing today? It is a point when he gives you over to your desires. He gives you over, over in a world that denies objective truth. You have a mission. You have a mission. And it's very clear. It is to introduce people to the truth of the true God. Remember, you can know what truth is. Jesus said, he is the truth. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Thy word is truth, he says in John 17. And in John 14, it's the Holy Spirit of truth. You can know what the truth is. Folks, we are to tell people about the true God while there's still a last chance for them. But listen to this. Please don't check out. because It's check in. Check back in. Listen to this. It's not simply our words. Our words are important. We have to speak to people. But also what is important is your life. What does your life look like? Have you earned the right to be heard? Or are you living like such a hypocrite that you can't even speak to anybody? Are you blending with the world? 
One guy put it this way. Listen to this. A Christian life should stand out to the world as different. We should be like zebras among horses. When our life is indistinguishable from the world's, we are like albino zebras. They really are zebras. Their parents are zebras. They know they are zebras on the inside, but to all who see them from the outside, they are no different than horses. Now, wouldn't that be something sad to be said about you? Look at, be a zebra, folk. Be a zebra. The, the zebra's mandate is to introduce the world steeped in paganism to the true God. God saved you for a reason. He didn't save you to immediately take you to heaven. He saved you to leave you here for a mission. Now, let me ask you a question. You know the answer to this. Will it be easy? Will it be easy? No. You can shake your head at home. No, no, it won't be easy. Will it be warm and fuzzy? Nope, no warm and fuzzy. Will you be loved by the world? Will they fall all over themselves for you? Oh, just thank you so much, you Christian. No, that's not happening. Will you be hated by the world? You bet. How do we know? Jesus told us in John 15, 8, they hated me, they'll hate you also. What the world does not understand, what the world does not understand, and I think a reason that the world hates us and calls us, calls Christians arrogance, bigots, haters, and judges, they do not understand the following. They do not understand that we cannot, we cannot, we cannot compromise the truth message. Zebras, real Christians, cannot compromise the truth message. We cannot give in to be popular or to be safe or to be tolerant or to be politically correct or even to be liked or even to be liked. Our job is to join God where he is at work and speak the truth in love. Thomas Aquinas said this. He's quoted as once said, that when you want to convert a person to your view, you go over to where he is standing, take him by the hand, and guide him. Sounds gentle, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like Jesus? He's just so gentle. You don't stand across the room and shout at him. You don't order him to come over to where you are. You start where he is, work from that position. He says that's the only way you get people to budge. It's the gentleness of Jesus. Look at, we cannot force, we cannot manipulate or command or degrade someone to believe. God does give last chances, folks. And I think that there's a time in our country right now for Elijah's and Joshua's to stand. Elijah's stood against the Baal gods and the Ashtoreth gods. He stood against them and he prevailed because of the power of our God. We have to stand against the Ashtoreths and the Baals in our culture. And Joshua said very clearly, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there needs to be a commitment in each home, each Christian home, that no matter what the culture does and the direction it takes, we pray for them, we pray for our president, we pray for our governor, we pray for people in, in, in authority that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We obey them as much as we can. Now, that's our mandate, is to be good citizens. 
But when they tell us to go off the rails and to do or believe something that is counter to Scripture, we can't go along with it. We just can't. It's just, just the way that it, it is. There is a last, last chance. Use your words, use your life, and tell people about the Savior, the loving Jesus. There's a song, Taste and See that the Lord is Good. Magnify His name forever. And there was another one, I'm amazed that you love me. Aren't you amazed at that, that Jesus Christ loves you and me? I'm amazed. I'm amazed that he loved me. I'm amazed that you came. I'm amazed that you love me, Jesus. And you came and you died for me. And I say, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for allowing us to spend time in your word. And thank you that you are a God of multiple, multiple chances. Your grace and your mercy exceeds our imagination. And we thank you that your desire is that all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That every human being on earth hear the message, the love story of Jesus, and bow before you and say, Yes, Lord, I believe you died for me. I receive you as my Savior. I put my trust in you. I am going to an eternal hell if I do not do that. So Lord, please speak to people's hearts today. May this be the day that they say yes to you. Who knows? There might be all kinds of last chances that are out there. We don't know when our time will be called for us to leave this planet. Speak to each one of our hearts, Holy Spirit, words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.